0: It is my great pleasure to welcome you all to episode 12 of the Hard Yards. We have made it to a dozen episodes and I can confirm that over the next couple of weeks, I'm also sitting down to chat with Rugby League and Fox Sports star Brayden Nasta and on. Cricket's Maddie Renshaw. Tonight is a man well known in AFL circles as one of the best left boots in the competition and also probably one of the best Thor lookalikes as well. He's a Western Australian who now calls Queensland home and one of the oldest statesmen on a young Brisbane Lions list. A massive welcome to the hard yards to none other than 211 gamer Daniel Rich. Good evening, Daniel. and Welcome to the hard yards.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. 211 games. Call me old. it's sounds a
0: bit funny, mate. <laughs> it does, it does. When I'm sitting here at, at just turning 45 last week and you're only just the, a young buck at 30, mate. But um, yeah. you must feel like one of the older guys in the lines at the moment. It's a pretty young list.
1: Mate, it's great. It's um, Yeah, I'm lucky I get to uh, go to work as such every day and uh, spend it with with my mates. But um, yeah, a lot of uh, a
0: lot of young bucks
1: running around with a lot of energy and full of jokes and, uh, mate, it keeps me young at heart.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, does that help you as a, as a player? Um, and, and, you know, all jokes aside, you're not old, you're 30. But does that help you as a player when you've got that youth and exuberance um, turning up to training every single week?
1: Oh, definitely. I think that's the best thing about a footy club. There's 47 players in our list and um, everyone's got a different personality. So um, there's always going to be more than, more than a few blokes up and about. And, um, bringing that energy. So you are uh, you feed off that for sure.
0: What about at the moment? So with the COVID situation and sort of the, I guess that, you know, some of the clubs have had to go into sort of a hub scenario. How does it work from a, a Brisbane Lions perspective at the moment? You look like you're sitting in your house. So I'm assuming that you're allowed to be in your house with family and then go, you know, to training and, and really just associating with club, club and, and family at home?
1: Yeah, so there's been a few changes, obviously, since it all started. and um, It's pretty fluid with um, the change of protocols and whatnot. Um, initially, we weren't allowed, when it all first kind of came out, we weren't allowed people um, at all um, inside our house besides, um, obviously, my wife and son. Um, initially, it was just family and a few close ones, and then it, then it got completely changed to no one yeah um, wow. sorry, family and yeah and obviously my son when we first started playing and then in the last few weeks i relaxed out a bit where we can um have up to five in your house and they've obviously just got to be close family or friends or teammates or someone at the footy club and then even recently after the um after the positive test um in the afl they changed it to there's a a period in between tests. I won't go into too much detail, but there's a period in between certain tests during the week that you can only have basically, yeah, my wife and son. Um, But outside of that, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, back to how it was. So it's it's all over the shop. But um, as a player, you do whatever you can to um, abide by the rules and and be out there on the weekend.
0: What about um, those guys at the club who aren't necessarily making it into the run on side every weekend and there's no secondary competitions as far as I'm aware in the, at the moment. So how are those guys managing to, you know, stay match fit and, you know, press their claims to make selection into the, into the top 22 players?
1: Yeah. So they're, those boys are, they're doing amazing. It'd be, it'd be a um, a pretty tough situation to be in, but I think one that they're all going to be better off for, um, especially mentally, it's probably mentally um, finding that motivation week in week out. Um, having said that, we're lucky that we've been able to play um, the, the reserves teams or the um, the players who haven't been picked from the other teams. So, um, okay, I've played obviously Adelaide on the weekend, um, West Coast, Freo, the teams that we've played. Um, so, a bit of different competition and some different faces for those guys. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's been pretty tough. They played, a, I think they played sixteen on sixteen um, a few times, and and have had to give. We've had to give a few because we've got a healthy list a few players from our team to sure. the opposition and things like that, and shorten game times, and and you're not playing for four points. So um, having speaking to those guys, sometimes the the motivation can be a little bit tough. But yeah, um, mate, the boys are doing well. They're a good bunch.
0: It's fantastic to to hear that, Daniel. That the you know, all the clubs are sort of banding around all the other clubs. And, you know, the, some of those clubs, I was talking to Andy Marr last weekend um, in the podcast. And, you know, we were talking about the fact that when I sign up to be a pro golfer, I'm kind of expected that I'm going to be away if I want to play internationally. I'm going to be away from home for those three, four weeks, you know, months at a time. Whereas when you sign up to play AFL, you're not expecting to be away from your family and, and your friends in a, in a hub on the Gold Coast for a month at a time. So it is different, and it is really tough. So I think it's fantastic that the AFL um, and your club is the Brisbane Lions is um, is kind of helping out and trying to be able to make practice matches happen by lending players to other teams and the like.
1: Yeah, oh, it'd be tough, and I think as a as a player, you you, you kind of you don't know how hard it would be until you're in that situation. So I really, um, in all honesty, I appreciate um, all the yeah. teams in the hub. Because what they're doing for the comp is letting it to, to keep going. And I know you run across the white line and you, you, you are trollers and you, you, want to, you, know, you want to do what you can to beat them. But at the end of the day, um, they've made sacrifices to, to the competition and, and spent time away from their families. and um, yeah. As people, I think that's pretty important.
0: That's awesome. What's the next steps for the Lions? Obviously, you've had four games. Oh, you've got another one at home. Have you this weekend?
1: Yeah, so we played Port Adelaide this weekend uh, at the Gabba and then we're uh, scheduled in to play Collingwood at the MCG the following uh, Friday night and then we're scheduled to play Sydney the Saturday after that. But, um, yeah, obviously not sure exactly what's uh, what's going to happen. Um, But it's been like that, to be honest. It's been like that the whole time. Yeah. um, Things change on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. So... um, it's kind of got to a point now as a player where you, you just wait, you just prepare for this game and, and you wait to hear
0: what's next. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. no, matter where, no matter where or when it is, you've you just got to be ready to
0: play. It's tough, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly in your career, this would have to be the most difficult season from that perspective, preparing and knowing where you're going to be and you know, looking at what's ahead of you. It's very, very hard to look past you know, seven days in front of you.
1: It is. It's it's different, but I mean, to be honest, I've. This is my 12th season now, and um, I suppose in a way, it's it's something different. Um, yeah, that's true. The, the, the 11 seasons that have come before this one have just kind of, you, you know, what you're going to week in week out that you get given your your schedule or your the fixture 30 weeks in advance and whatever it might be, and you know who you're going to play when you're going to play. But um, you take silver linings to every situation, and I think bit of a mental change up and um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of just rolling with the punches and, and enjoying it to be honest.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think that's a great, great attitude to have towards it. Was was footy always the thing for, for you, mate? I know we have spent a bit of time on a golf course together and what fascinates me and it always fascinates me about golf is that you've got this thumping left foot on you, which I assume means you're left left handed, but you play golf right handed.
1: Yeah I'm uh, I'm all over the shop when it comes to uh to that I uh, yeah I basically mix and mix, mix and match in all the different sports and yeah, um, right. whatnot but um yeah I think footy was always my favorite I um I only kind of got into golf when I moved over to I uh, played a little bit back in Perth before I got drafted but ever since I moved to uh to Queensland um I suppose picked up by the Lions and started playing um, on a weekly basis on the day off, I really, really got into golf. But um, tennis was probably the other one growing up. Yeah, right. Uh, really enjoyed my tennis in the summer months and um, had a coach and all that type of thing and played in some state tournaments and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I think footy was always my love. It was one of those things that kind of always appealed to me. And, um, yeah, it's always been probably the number one.
0: If you, if you talk back to WA and you, you spoke about getting drafted... Um, in the 2008 draft, I think it was, so moving to Brisbane to play in 2009, uh, had some stellar years prior to that in in Perth, in the the waffle, as they call it, the WAFL, and playing for Subiaco, I believe. The rumour was that you were probably looking like getting picked up in maybe pick two or thereabouts in the draft. As a player, and you might remember this, you might not. Um, what was it like going into that draft, thinking that you were maybe going to get picked up so early, and then you ended up not getting picked up till pick seven for Brisbane Lions?
1: Yeah, it was a um, it was a funny time. I think um, in two thousand eight, West Coast and Freeman were towards the bottom of the ladder, and um, I think myself, Nick Natanui and Stephen Hill were getting spoken about just as much okay. in the paper in the paper as um, those two teams. Um, Leading into the draft, I think I just got sick of talking about um, West Coast and Freya in those two years. So, um, yeah, it was spoken about a lot and there was a fair bit fair bit of hype. Um, but, yeah, I remember um, heading into that draft, I, I kind of, because obviously both West Australians and um, Nick Nat's a freak, and uh, Stephen, he was a very good player as well. So, um, I think in the lead into the, obviously, you managed, I, I'd already signed with the manager. Um, in the lead into that, and they're basically um, they speak a lot with the clubs and all that type of stuff. So there was a there was a bit of an indication that I knew I wasn't going to be picked up. I'm talking very close to the draft and a few days, and running into the draft that, um, yeah, that it's obviously word spread that Melbourne were going to pick Jack Watts with their first pick, and then West Coast were going to pick Nick with their second, Stephen Hill with their third, and so on. And um, my manager basically said if if you they're at number seven, then Brisbane's going to pick you up. So,
0: um, okay, so you knew that prior to the to the draft day.
1: Oh, it was more around yeah, pretty close to the draft day. Yeah, um, but I was at I was at the draft in Melbourne. It was a Thursday night. and um, We're at the draft in Melbourne, and then I think by Monday, the following Monday, so I flew back to Perth and back to Brisbane on by the Monday. So it all oh, wow happened, happened pretty quickly. But um, and what were your yeah.
0: thoughts? What were your thoughts about Brisbane Lions at the time and? You know, obviously, you know it's on the other side. You couldn't get any further away from where you were living and grew up. Um, yeah, you know, how did suppose, that play out with you?
1: Yeah, well, in in that last in that last kind of year of playing footy in Perth. So the, the years re, rewind a bit further. I was we were always West Coast members, so we went to the footy. Yeah, um, used to love obviously love my footy, and used to go to the footy all the time with mum, dad, and my sister as members. And I think when you're in that last year before you get drafted, you kind of You get to a point where, like, righto, the percentages I'm not getting picked up by West Coast, so you kind of start to uh, just become a footy. I always supported West Coast, but you just become a bit of more of a footy lover, and you have got the open mind that you can be picked up anywhere. So, sure, um, I I played a few state carnivals in 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 Queensland, in Brisbane, um, and kind of we did a few surf trips with mum and dad. We Drove from Sydney to, to up, up into Queensland and a few things like that. So I'd been there before a few times. And I remember when I was 16, 15 or 16, I had a tour of the club and then Blackie took our state team through the club and that kind of thing. So it was funny yeah. how it all uh, all ended up. And then Bossy was my... Um, when I made the Australian side so for my 17 or 18s, he was actually coaching there. Yeah, right. And the next year, he his first year of coaching was my first year at the club, so... It was funny in a way how it all uh, ended working out.
0: Yeah, amazing. Two uh, two absolute legends of the Lions, Michael Voss and, and Simon Black mentioned there. So you know, pretty cool little you know introduction to the club.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They're uh, yeah two of the uh, two of the rippers of obviously the AFL, but um, both different different men. But I um, yeah learn a lot off both of those guys.
0: That's awesome. So you arrive in Brisbane. Did you arrive on your own? Did you come over on your own? Did parents come with you? How do you how do you get yourself set up? And talk us through as a young fella arriving in Brisbane. What does Brisbane Lions do to help out a young draftee that's arriving on the doorstep from the other side of the country? How did that all work out for, for you, mate?
1: Um, I oh, they're brilliant. They were um they were so supportive in every way. I think um, obviously um, you basically you met at the airport. You picked up. Um, I think there were a couple of players there, as well as the kind of welfare team, um, and yeah, I, I, I was lucky to live with Jamie Charman for my first oh, three or yeah. four months. Um, so I'll forever be in debt to um, to him for what he did for me and helping me settle in. He's such a ripper, and um, yeah, a, a guy I call a close friend now. More importantly, what's he but, doing uh, these days? He's actually just uh, started his own property business. Okay, um, so. Here in Brisbane. Almost like a, yeah, here in Brisbane, yeah. So um, I think he does a lot of stuff around New Farm and, okay. and that way where he yeah, kind of um, sources houses for people who are looking to buy and whatnot and, what he and helps to sell as well. So yeah, he's, I was talking to him the other night, he's going really well. But um, awesome. yeah, there has got the people like that and um, I think it really helped that I played every game in my first season. I was lucky to, to travel every second week and, and um, be able to play in front of our home crowds at the Gabba every every second week as well, so um, mentally that made it a lot easier. Um, and I thought, oh, how good is this? I get to travel with. I was at the time I was playing with the likes of Brownie, uh, Blackie, Luke Power, just to name name a few. So um, I was on cloud nine from day dot.
0: Some pretty good names there. Yeah. The you you mentioned there the travel and being able to play. Uh, home and away fixtures and, and traveling every sort of second week a couple of questions one what was it like the first time you ran out on the MCg and secondly where's the toughest place to play AFL footy on the on the rotation of, of different venues around australia
1: um, oh the MCg's amazing yeah it's um, I think we only play, typically only play there a couple of times a year um, but, yeah, it's one of those grounds where you run out and it's like um, I think 99% of the world will watch the movie The Gladiator. It's It's got a comparison to that. You run out and it's got that big Colosseum feel to it, um, the big tall grandstands. And um, having watched grand final after grand final at the ground, you, that's kind of what you think of naturally. Got the history. Um, got the history attached to it, yeah. So, oh, yeah, it was an amazing experience.
0: Um, as, uh, as a player, uh, sorry, one, one quick question on that that just, just jumped into my mind. As a player who doesn't get to play in that Anzac Day fixture, is that a game that if you could just morph yourself into one of those two teams for a day, you'd love to be a part of that fixture?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think uh, Looks probably, outside, probably outside of finals and grand final, it's, the, it's probably the closest thing you're going to get to a grand final at, at the MCG, so um, plus obviously the the whole history and the feeling around the Anzac Day
0: absolutely um,
1: day as well is just yeah another level. But yeah, I don't think that'll be happening to me. No,
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely not. Now now tough tough venues to play in Australia. So we think about yeah. the trip to Perth. We think about yeah. you know Adelaide going down to yeah. Tassie to play the Hawks down there. Um, sure. you know, obviously, Melbourne and Geelong, Geelong must be tough at times, I reckon, when it gets really cold down
1: there. Yeah. Um, oh, you probably do, you're all over it, to be honest. I think, <laughs> um, it's not really a question I've been asked much before, but I think, um, yeah, the old Adelaide Oval was always pretty, um, not Adelaide, Oval, I, I think it was called Amy State, Amy State, Amy called. Park. Amy Park, yeah, out of Westlake, there, down on the yeah. water. It always used to be cold and wet and windy, and, um, um especially against Port Adelaide, their, their supporters can be uh, um, yeah, pretty brutal. But uh, yeah, they're in Geelong for similar reasons. Yep. Um, Tassie wasn't too bad. We always seem to not go not too bad down in Tassie. Um, so that wasn't too bad. That's a great, that's one of the best surfaces as right. a golfer. As a golfer, and a man that probably loves his grass. I think uh, <laughs> you'd, you'd respect the deck down there. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think between probably out of those two, and then, and then definitely go you and know, find a Perth and um the old Subiaco Oval was uh, yeah, one of those places that big ground with yeah, just a different kind of setting. And I'd played a lot of footy there, but I think um, a lot of people would say that.
0: Have you played inside the new Optus Stadium in Perth yet?
1: Yeah, yeah, played two games there. That's uh, yeah, that's a pretty special ground Is as well. Is that cool? Yeah, it's um. It's kind of a mixture between the MCG and the Gabba, so it's like okay. that big Colosseum feel, but then it's got the white um, kind of those tight sails up above around the whole stadium. Like yeah, Gabba, right. Um, if that's a kind of way to describe it, yeah,
0: that, um, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. What about what about the the skill set that you know is AFL? So one of the, one of your key skills is obviously by by foot, I suppose. Um, you know, looking at some of your stats this year, you know you're above average in in kicks per game in the competition. So, um, are any of those venues really difficult to kick with with regards to wind getting in and swirling around? Um, and yeah, hitting MCG, your targets?
1: Yeah, the MCG can be quite swirly. I think sometimes that's harder because when you when you're at a ground that might say, for example, um down at Geelong, there's some parts of the ground that are that are open because it's not fully, especially back like 10 years ago, it was yeah. not fully like a full stadium. So you kind of know, it's like an open golf course, you know the wind's coming across an exact certain way and there's not really a lot to block it out. Um, whereas the MCG, because it comes in and then it swirls and might be yeah. coming in one way, but then you're on the other side of the ground and it's swirling the other way. So. That can be a bit tricky, not so much the kick as such, but more directing the kick, yeah. um, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, it can, can get a bit swirly in there as opposed to just that hard, might have a hard left to right or into a wind or whatever it might be in an yeah. open ground.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like a, you know, like the Tassie ground, I suppose, you kind of get a fairly good perception of where the wind's coming from there as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, spot on. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. If we go back to 2009 and your debut, talk us through the debut. Tell us about your experience, the nerves, who you played, if you remember <laughs> where it was. and Yes. And uh, talk us through that experience. How old were you? Do you remember?
1: Uh, yes, I was in 2009. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have turned – no, I didn't. I, would, I was still 18. I hadn't turned 19 yet. Yeah, wow. Um And it was against West Coast, round one at the Gabba. Oh, wow. So it was funny. I was playing against guys that I kind of knew reasonably well um, from back in Perth and um, obviously played against a couple of them in the Waffle and that type of thing. um, Yeah, it was a pretty surreal experience. Um, Yeah, it was a funny one. I spent a bit of time with Chad Fletcher who used to play at Subiaco and has obviously played a heap of games at... um, at, uh, at West Coast. He used to play at West Coast. Um, yeah, super player. and um, He lived with Phil Reed who used to play um, Geelong, Melbourne. Um, and they lived together in Perth. And, and Phil was at Subiaco when I was in my last few years at Subiaco. Yeah, right. He was one of the guys to kind of take me under his wing. And I was lucky that I got to spend a bit of time with him and have a surf with him and Chad Fletcher and whatnot. And then Chad played for West Coast against me in my first game. So it was weird. Just, it was almost like you playing against um, old teammates in a way, but but they obviously weren't my old teammates. So, um, but a game that I'll never forget. Um, yeah, we had a good win, and um, yeah, I played okay.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What about you as a as a voice on the field? We don't get to really know. It's hard to really know when you're watching on TV or you're in the crowd. I know you as not necessarily the most super out there type of guy, um, fairly quiet, fairly unassuming fella. What do you like on the football field and and how do you feel, you know, as an 18-year-old, how how do you go about that process, you know, running out on the field for, the, for your first game? Do you feel like you've, you don't have a choice to do anything other than yell out when you need to or you felt like you were too quiet or?
1: Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's something that you definitely train yourself to do more okay. over time. Um, yeah, everyone's different, but I think especially early days, I wouldn't have said wouldn't have said a whole heap. I would have said <laughs> what I had to say, but um, I think definitely in the last few years and um, more and more, um, it's something that um, you have to have to bring, especially as an older player, sure. um, especially as a defender um, as well, when you're setting up a lot of things behind the ball and um, and that type of thing and. Um, you kind of have no choice to when you cross that white line you've got to force it no matter what kind of person you are but i think it's a, i'm at a point now where i don't have to force anything um yeah. It kind of it's 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 like kicking and handballing you now that that communication between one another is just yeah part of the game and another skill that you have to you have to train and you have to learn and um, it's pretty important to uh, to have because yeah especially in team defense and as a defender you you rely on that communication, um, especially when guys are, I suppose, in front of you, or if you're in front of someone and you, you don't have time to turn your head and communicate. You just got to use your ears and listen.
0: Yeah. The was there ever a moment? Do you ever remember a moment where you know it really dawned on you or it clicked? You know, I know as a coach, uh, not my golf coaching that I do, but I coach an under sixteen uh, soccer team. And I'm forever talking to the boys about, you know, more talk, more talk. Use your voices, you know, in the game. Was there ever a moment where you felt like it really clicked for you and you thought, oh wow, this game gets a bit easier if you actually communicate?
1: Um, oh probably not one particular moment to be honest. I think um I think Or it, an age? Oh yeah, probably probably the last few years to be honest. Probably like yeah, wow. real really like yeah, in In cement, probably the last four or five years. Okay. Um, But as you said, I'm not naturally a loud, boisterous kind of person. But um, I think, yeah, when I kind of when I talk, I I, I talk for the right reasons, and um, yeah, I suppose hopefully it makes sense. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah,
0: if you're if you're talking, probably someone somebody else's ears are pricking up, going, "Daniel's talking about a lesson here." You know, (laughs) doesn't talk unless he needs to. Who are the guys that, you know, throughout that time um, at the Lions, you spoke about Jonathan Brown and Simon Black and Luke Power. Um, Are there any other names that really have been really pivotal parts or, or, you know, Vossi as a coach and Chris Fagan now, I was going to say Fags, I should use his proper name. Chris Fagan now from all reports, unbelievable coach. Um, Talk us through some of those guys that have helped shaped shaped you and moulded you into the player that you are now 211 games in?
1: Oh, I think there's been a lot, a lot of, of <laughs> I'm kind of a player who's seen a lot of change at our footy club.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, is that even difficult? Though, oh, it's, it is. It's or just it's, part of it. Yeah, it's part of it. I think in the moment at times it's extremely difficult. There's, um, you scrutinised and all that type of stuff and you mm-hmm. understand that's part of it but just because you understand it's part of it doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it any easier. So, <laughs> yes. um, but it's all part of footy. But having said that, yeah, I, I mentioned a few before. Obviously, Chamo was fantastic to me. And, um yeah. But I, I learned a lot of um, earlier in those early days. Guys like Luke Power and Simon Black are just those genuine, really caring um, guys who, those family guys who would just basically do anything they could to make you feel uh, make you feel part of the club. Um, and obviously super players as well and, and high trainers. And then there's um, Brownie as well, who's obviously the things he does on the field, um, speaks for itself. But um, the way he kind of led the club and um, made the boys feel kind of connected and, and whatnot was something that I learned off him. Um, Bossy as a coach was fantastic. I um, yeah, really admired him as a coach um, and he was fantastic um, support for me. Um, as a young player and then on the end of it obviously as you mentioned Fagues um, yeah he's been um, incredible the last three or four years he's been at the footy club um, he coaches really well and guides all the coaching structures and all that and put, puts a lot of faith in his assistants to, um, to coach as well which I think is really admirable and then um, one of his best assets is he's um, he makes you feel I suppose makes you feel loved and Max is a bit of that kind of father figure and, and has an interest in you as a person, um, for first and foremost. And I think in return, players um, dig deep and really um, give all they can for him as a coach, um, as, as the person leading the team. So I've so
0: had, guess, a lot, had
1: a lot a lot, along the way and learned a lot of different things. But,
0: um, yeah, I've been lucky. His, so his connect and, you know, it seems to be a common trait in elite coaches that, the connect with the player is a bit more on it's, it's on a bit more deeper level than just football.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, he, so for example, during the, uh, the COVID shutdown, when we were basically all, um, yeah, home and training in twos at most and that type of thing, he'd, he'd call every single player every single week, um, and have a five, 10, 15 minute chat about, um, Obviously, there was brief footy chat in it, but a lot of it was, how's your, yeah. how's your wife going? How's your son going? Um, all that type of stuff. Even asking about um, my parents back in Perth and stuff like that, where he doesn't have to go out of his way to do that. And, yeah, it's um, awesome. But, yeah, I think just the little, those little things like that um, really shows what he uh, has, has, has the care for uh, each player.
0: Yeah, and I don't think that's put on, is it? You know, that that's just a genuine, that's his nature, that's that genuine human nature and, and love and compassion for another person on the planet. Um, but yeah, it really becomes an incredibly great coaching attribute.
1: Absolutely, as I said, you you naturally uh, you you basically want to you want to play for your coach, and um, on the back of that, so um, yeah, those little yeah, things awesome. up.
0: That's awesome. So your 2009 debut season ended pretty well. You uh, ended up the rising star at the end of that year and then moved into 2010 and probably transitioned a little bit in 2010 and and moved from a bit more out of the middle into a bit more into the back line. Is that safe to say that's accurate?
1: Uh, Yeah, played a variety of positions. I think... think, um... Basically, in your first year, you basically get a bit of a free hit. Um, (laughs) There's no pressure. There's no pressure to necessarily um, do this or that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and there's um, internally and externally. So I think yeah, from that second year, kind of third year onwards, there's a lot more expectation, especially after you've gone okay in your first few years. And um, yeah, I played a variety of positions, um, but yeah, it's kind of I've been obviously midfield forward back a bit more settled in recent times, but um, Mm. I think, I think those experiences definitely helped me um, as time went on.
0: What about you spoke there about external expectation. How do you, how did you deal with that when, you know, as you said, you've started well and you know, there's a lot of chatter about Ken Daniel Rich. I remember it actually um, in the press in that second year syndrome chatter and, you know, even just talk about how teams will will know you a little bit better in the second year and be able to match up on you a little bit better, it still doesn't stop you running onto a uh, a, a teammate's mark and kicking it from outside 50 like you did on the weekend, however.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You think
0: they'd they'd mark that up by now?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I suppose it's something that I I don't want them to, but (laughs) uh, no, teams are pretty good at um, doing that. And it's you, you know generally know the guys from... Um, other opposition teams. That,
0: sure,
1: um, it's one of their strengths. But um, yeah, I think as I said before, it's all—it's all part of it. It's—it's um, it's a funny one. It's not like you're going out there each week and you're not trying. And, mm. um, you're not trying to play well or not trying to do this or do that. But um, I think all, all sportsmen have been in that situation where they're um, not playing as, as well as they wanted to play, and um, we all know that. As elite athletes, I think your harshest critic is yourself. So yeah, for sure. um, When you can keep bouncing back off that and um, not try to listen to that external noise, it 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 can make it a bit better. But at the same time, you it's it's naturally as a human don't like hearing um, people um, get stuck into you. But having said that, it's um it's all part of it.
0: And I assume you know your code versus my code in golf. Um. You know, at least you've got your teammates there to sort of, you know, be picking you up every week as well, you know, and encouraging you along.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's the the best thing about, um, about what we do is we obviously play on the weekend and you've got, got the next weekend to uh, respond and, um, I suppose, make up for a bad game or whatever it might be. Um, so uh, you always kind of look to the, the guys who are in the Olympics and all that kind of thing, and you think <laughs> <Yeah>. they, they <laughs> do all this training, all this four stuff years. for four, four years, and it doesn't go to plan. Like a 100-metre race, it's all down to 10 seconds of putting it all together. So you look at guys like that, and it puts things into perspective, I get to make amends in six, seven days. So
0: it is yeah. what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And if I have a bad week, I'm making zero dollars. So (laughs) that's kind of nice having a, having a, you know, a year or two year or three year contract where, you know, you're going to be looked after financially. And so you get to be able to put your best foot forward. Um, Let's talk about another challenging part. So we've talked a little bit there about external expectations and the media and, and obviously social media nowadays is, you know, since you began playing, you know, um, AFL 40 in 2009 social media is, Ramped up significantly, that's a challenge for the young player these days as well. Are you? How does the lines work? Are you in sort of a mentoring role with some of the younger guys in the club? Do they do they sort of send out the old boys and say, "Hey, look, you can take these two, you can take these two zorks," and away you go?
1: Oh, I'm not it's not structured or anything, but I think yeah. naturally you kind of um, connect with guys in that way a bit better, and um, naturally they're probably the first. Person that they'll come and talk to is you and, and whatnot sure. about certain situations, but um, I think um, everyone these days is pretty good um, as a player. You, you understand that there's a lot of it's a lot easier to for someone to say something from behind a computer as it is to your face, yeah. um, you kind of have to just kind of brush it aside. But um, yeah, I think the more you, you look into that kind of stuff and and read all stuff and all whatever it might be, the the worst it's going to be. Because at the end of the day, as long as you've got the respect and you're you're doing what you need for the team, I think that all that stuff's irrelevant. Because the truth is a lot of the people writing things and um, saying things don't really know uh, what's happening behind the four walls of a footy club.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely right. Let's talk about another difficult time in your career. So you've played a fairly significant Uh, role for the Lions over the first few seasons and you've played 24 games 22 games 16 20 and 16 in your first five seasons you play your hundredth game against Geelong in uh, 2014 but the week after against the Gold Coast Suns you do your ACL yeah so from from such joy of a hundredth game into a an ACL and a end of season injury how does how do you how does one respond in that sort of situation? Can you talk us through the process of, of an ACL and what the recovery? We know it's an end of season injury, but yeah, that must be tough when you, you you live, breathe and sleep footy and you can no longer do it.
1: Yeah, it wasn't uh wasn't a great day, but um I think yeah, as as every situation happens, there's a silver lining to everything and um I took a few things out of that that um, hopefully affected me For the better But um, yeah I think What sort of things just, mate? Um, I think The, the way I kind of see it It was kind of Six, seven years Into my career And um, It kind of gave me My body A, a year of no contact um, Yeah right A lot less change of direction um, I, As funny as it might sound When you, when you know You're going to be Out for a whole season um, Especially during that period We weren't playing well We were um, towards the bottom of the ladder Basically all that stuff we just spoke about We're getting criticised every week And it probably takes a bit of a toll On everyone so sure. um, I suppose when you're not playing for When you know you're not going to be playing for 10 to 12 Months you you instantly kind of Just just relax a bit um, And your yeah, your Body can kind of Not not that I was stressed I'm a pretty relaxed kind of guy But um, yeah you kind of Your body kind of realises Right yeah I'm Basically, just going to be training in a way for the next ten to 12, 12 months and getting ready for the following season. So, um, as I mentioned, yeah, you're not getting bumps and bruises and all that kind of stuff that you that you get. So, I think hopefully that's going to um, pay dividends for the back end of my career. Um, so that's the silver lining, one of the silver linings that took you out of it. But um, back to the process of it all, it's um, it all happened. You yeah, had pretty quick and. I was in a fair bit of pain when it happened, and then by the time I got off the ground, the pain had gone away. So I just thought I'd jarred my knee or whatever it might be. And we're down playing down, playing the Suns on the Gold Coast. Went went into the into the change rooms, and I remember the doctors do that the old test where they kind of grab your top of your shin and shake it forward and back. And Mm -hmm. if it moves too much, it's it's not a good sign. But I didn't really didn't didn't know too much about obviously the whole thing at that point. um, I remember they kind of looked at each other And had one of those looks like Nah, this isn't good So um, Yeah, they gave us the, the not great news They didn't obviously say you've done it But they said this is likely what's happened And then obviously when you hear those Hear those three letters ACL as a footballer You instantly know what that means So mm. um wasn't great And yeah The next step was surgery And all that kind of stuff And
0: So you go off and have scans You know, in the next day or so
1: Yep, yep So I had um, had scans in the next as you said couple of days and then and um, they uh, look into booking in for surgery and um, all that type of stuff and then they decide where they're going to take the um, I suppose the, the new ligament from and all that type, that type of stuff because you can do it from obviously there's the patella tendon there's the hamstring tendon there's the quad tendon that you can use So yeah, right. figuring, figuring all okay. that stuff out so um, they took a little bit of my hamstring tendon Um and then yeah, surgery was done. I had it done down in Melbourne. Um, Curiosity
0: here, right yep. hamstring tendon or left hamstring tendon? Yeah,
1: right hamstring tendon. Yeah, yeah okay. So they go off. That, Is one that,
0: that one a deliberate top. thing to go off the non-dominant foot? Um,
1: I'm not sure to be honest. I'm not yeah, sure. It's, it's the same. Um, it's the same leg that my knee was. So whether it's just they do it from the same leg or okay, um, whatever, or whether they realise that that right leg of mine is just used for standing on then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, they, they, they took that out and, um, and got it done. And then basically you just start the, start the recovery period where there's, um, basically with our rehab coach, she broke it down for me into almost seven phases. And there was almost a wow. checklist, for every single one of those phases. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't have been fun. Um, Alex Clark, he, his name was. He's no longer at the club. He's, I think, he's at Cronulla now in the NRL. But um, yeah, he would have been, would have been his worst nightmare. I, mean, I was, yeah, not not great fun. I was continually um, pushing him and trying to get into that next phase probably before I should have. And, okay. Uh, all that type of stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, a lot's changed since then until now. I think if you if you did the ACL these days, you get it to a point, and then they'd send you off on a holiday. To get away from footy for a bit,
0: yeah, Um, right.
1: Where, uh, yeah, back in the day, when it was a bit more old school, I was grinding away, and um, I remember my Saturdays when I was back, probably to the later end, the latter end of the season, when I was back running and and all that that type of stuff. My Saturdays were were brutal. I'd I'd get up early and do all the training, do kind of like a ten k session, a solid session, then I'd I'd coach the our reserves midfield and then I'd sit in the box of the uh, seniors um, so by the end of those Sundays I was absolutely absolutely gassed but having said that I suppose that kept me kept my mind ticking over for for the footy side of it um, as, as I said before without getting those bumps and bruises
0: is that one of the silver lining moments there you spoke about sitting in the in the box for for the game what's that like as far as being able to See the game from a different perspective and and listen into what the coach and the assistant coaches are all talking about. Did that help develop you as a player?
1: Yeah, I think the combination between actually coaching, um, so coaching our reserves midfield um, for that that season and doing that really was beneficial. Yeah, it's definitely a lot a lot easier sitting up <laughs> sitting up in the grandstand up in the box, um, but um, yeah, I think they always say when you're teaching someone, it's the best way to kind of learn things yourself. So, for sure, um, it was something that I really enjoyed. Um, got to spend a bit of time with the younger guys too. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was really good.
0: It's fascinating. And what sort of length of time did you have your, you know, your, your knee brace on for? So, how long are you you really immobile for, and um, really doing a heck of a lot? Is that just no? Like four, I, six I uh, or?
1: no, not at all. I think um. I think they, I was back trying to walk in three or four days after surgery. Okay. Um, yeah, I uh, I was encouraged. To, I didn't I do not think I wore a knee brace at all. Oh
0: wow.
1: Okay. I was encouraged to uh, yeah get it moving pretty quickly. And um, I guess your straight fine.
0: up and down movements okay as well. Yeah,
1: so. yeah, yeah. So I was um, encouraged to get it moving pretty quickly and all that type of stuff. And um, I was lucky. I naturally don't swell. Much so, if I roll okay. my ankle and all that type of stuff, I don't really blow up and um, have fluid all around there. So my knee was pretty good because um, fluid can stop help can stop that range and all that type of stuff. So um, yeah, no, it was uh, it was pretty quick. comfortable, but yeah, it was um, wasn't too bad.
0: You spoke before. You joked before about your right leg. All it's good for is standing on. Um, I, I had this thought before about your you know, thumping left foot and your right foot, from what range would you be able to feel like you could comfortably kick a right footer through the goals versus a left footer?
1: <laughs> um, oh, I'd probably still be able to kick probably 45 to 50
0: on my right. Yeah, wow, okay. Um,
1: yeah. It, um, and probably, yeah, left, probably, yeah, 60-ish roughly.
0: Do you feel um, like you can kick your right foot drop punt? Technically, well, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I've, I've, I mean, I I've got... just, Yeah,
1: I always like I, I I encourage guys to kick on both feet, but yeah, I think I've always been one that's a little bit. I've had a bit of a different opinion to to a lot of people. Like you don't you don't need your opposite as much as you might think, and I don't know why. This might sound a bit funny, but I don't know why people practice kicking on the opposite foot in a straight line. Because if you're in a straight line, you're just going to use your preferred foot. Your other foot. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's more around it's, the body. Around the yeah, it should be on a bit of an angle around the body, like you're getting pressured from. Yeah, if you're, if you're left or from your left side, or yeah, yeah. vice versa. So if you're yeah, running in a straight line, you're not going to you're not going to be using your opposite foot. Um, yeah. so I've always been a bit funny with that one, but
0: um, yeah. It is. It it's is. interesting. I, I I read a book years and years ago. And it was about Tom Lehman, the golfer, American golfer. Yep. And Tom Lehman used to hit draws. You know, so for those who who weren't really sure on golf, a draw is a shot that starts out to the right, hopefully, and curves back to the left towards target. Now, Tom Lehman used to hit draws, and his coach uh, said to him, "Look, listen, Tom, you're not going to ever win a U.S. Open if you're you're hitting draws. We're going to need to." you know, get you to be able to hit it the other way and hit fades left to right. So he started doing it and he just lost it completely because he just couldn't figure out what was going to come out and, and he just started hitting it horrible. And in the end, he just said to his coach, listen, I'm just going to go back to what I'm doing well, which is kind of what you're talking about, you know, be, be very, very, very good off your, off your dominant side and then you've got real capacity to use the outside of the boot, the inside of the boot, and you're still using your dominant foot. And Tom Lehman obviously went on to win majors when he went back to just hitting, hitting draws, but he was able to hit a draw, a one yard draw, a three yard draw, a five yard draw, a 20 yard draw, you know, and he just made something that he was good at. Great. You know, and I think that's kind of what you're saying as well a bit, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, I just think you don't, the need that the amount that I would actually use my right foot is generally just to, when I need to, get out of trouble or um, kick one around the body or whatnot, but it, everyone's different. Those guys like Sam Mitchell, for example, he was so good on left or right. Um, that's a, that's a yeah, plays a div, bit of a different position and, and whatnot, but um, everyone's different.
0: Who's the, who's the best at that at the Lions at the moment? Um, the who's, young got the, who's got the most natural left and right foot combo?
1: Um, one of the young boys, Cadene Coleman. You wouldn't, if I. Okay. Yeah, hasn't debuted yet. His, no, hasn't debuted yet. No, but if you watched him kick the ball, you wouldn't. I don't reckon you'd be able to pick which which foot he kicked with. Yeah. Um, man. So yeah, he's uh, pretty special.
0: Is he? Is he an AFL background or a soccer background coming up?
1: No AFL. Yeah, I think he's always he's always played AFL. Yep. Yep. Just okay. super super silky, talented. Um, yeah. Zork's got a pretty good left. As much as I hate to say it, Zork has got a pretty <laughs> good
0: <laughs> What about Charlie? Charlie seems to be able to bend it off either side.
1: Uh, yeah, Charlie's pretty good. Yeah, yeah
0: Charlie's pretty good. Um, yeah.
1: I don't yeah, like passing
0: him awesome. up either. What about hand passing? From a hand passing off your left or right, do you have a more comfortable way to go with that? Or does that no. become a skill that becomes a little bit more either or? Yeah, that's more either or.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of those things that it's a lot easier to, to get balanced.
0: Um, yeah, handballing either side is fine for me. I think yeah. it's critical, right? That's a bit more right, critical yeah. than being able to kick both feet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, definitely uh, one of those things that you have to be able to do because you've you got to be quick and you're under pressure and all that type of stuff.
0: Now, I know you're a bit biased because you, you play AFL. But I think AFL is probably the most difficult of the football codes because of the 360-degree nature of the game. Um, so, in other words, you can be, you know, having a defender shepherd you off the ball, you know, from behind you, you didn't see them coming and they shepherd you. Um, you know, the the game goes forwards, backwards in every direction. Do you feel like, you know, and you're, you would have played every... Well, you might not have played the rugby leagues, but... Um, but that they're a bit, you know, two dimensional coming at you, and there's the player, and we'll tackle him. AFL, I feel like hands and feet and 360 degrees is the most difficult of all the codes.
1: Yeah, I think oh, I've got a, a lot of respect for those guys. Like I love Absolutely. watching. Absolutely, I love watching. Um, I'm obviously from West Australia, and there was there was no such thing as rugby league um, okay. when I was growing up. I remember I used to watch the Origins, and that was about it. But um, yeah, got a lot of a uh, lot of respect um, for those guys. Like like soccer players are so skillful, but they don't have to worry yeah. about getting tackled or um, obviously anything like that. But I think that's the the nature of it. There's um, don't necessarily AFL doesn't necessarily stand out above or anything from like a physicality or, or all no. that kind of, that type of thing. But it's just got everything in it. Yeah, um, I think he summed it up pretty well. The whole three hundred and sixty. Um, you're going to get tackled from almost anywhere and there's um, there's rules where you're allowed to get obviously shepherded off the ball when you don't have the ball and there's all these different types of things going on. And, oh, it's um, brutal. Obviously a lot lot more running, so there's potentially more fatigue involved and all that type of stuff. Um, whereas obviously both the rugby codes is more, it's all, all in front of you. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I don't, I don't want to sound like a critic or anything because I've never... I'm not signing up for any of those
0: codes. <laughs> yeah. Having
1: said that, no, I wouldn't want to stand in front of some of the boys that are, oh, are no. running with the ball or yeah, even run at some of them. So. Um, oh, but yeah, exactly I think right. Got you you could
0: even think about your team and, you know, let's play rugby league, guys, and you guys, you got a guy like Steph Martin running at you, you know, from 20 metres away just charging at you and you've got to bring him down. That's no fun. You know, that's yeah. just, you know, there's there's nothing enjoyable about that. I remember playing, I only played a couple of seasons years and years ago of of, um, Aussie Rules footy here in the QAFL. And I remember those first few weeks I played, I'd sort of come from the rugby league um, background and two-dimensional, and I remember getting walloped in a couple of shepherds. And not only that, but every night after a game, I could never sleep. I was that sore physically just because you get bumped from every angle you know you're getting hit on every part of your body and hip and shoulders on the left side of your body your right side of your body your front and then someone will tackle you potentially illegally in your back and so you've got someone on your back as well and i could never sleep (laughs) until (laughs) i mean that's maybe just the weak little golfer that i am playing (laughs) hang on zero's footy
1: oh yeah yeah. i obviously played a fair bit of footy over my time and doesn't you can't, you're never not going to get sore. You, sometimes, some games you pull up better than others, but some games you pull up, uh, yeah, pretty pretty shocking. But um, yeah, it's all kind of part of it. You, In a way, you get used to it, but at the same time,
0: you never do. That's um, very comforting for you to, to share that with me and to know that it's maybe not that I'm just a weak little golfer um, getting sore from a game of footy. Brisbane Lions, let's talk about them now. Um, it's been your home. Uh, you'll—I would assume, um—and and that's an assumption, but I'm assuming you want to be a, a one club player, um, in your career.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that's been something that I've um said the whole whole long ho- along the whole journey. I think there's been times where um potentially you could have gone somewhere else or been offered um, spots at other clubs and all that type of stuff. But um, I think having gone through what we what we've been through and then coming out the other end of it um, and um, things are going a lot better now then it just feels a lot lot sweeter so um still think I've got a fair bit of good footy left in me and um, yeah I want to be part of uh, definitely part of the journey heading in the right direction
0: how many more years are you thinking 211 games is 300 games a, a, a... You know, I'm not sure whether that's a goal is the right word, but is that something that you look at and think, you know, it's still possible for me, how my body's feeling at the moment?
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. When you when you sit down and actually think about it um, in the moment, like now, I think definitely, yeah, I've probably um, felt the best I've felt the last few years and um, the way I've kind of been able to play footy. And, um, yeah, there's not not so much a number on it with years to years to play left or games to play, I think. Um, I just definitely think that my best footy is still ahead of me. And,
0: That's um, awesome. That, that kind of
1: excites me. So
0: That excites yeah. our Brisbane Lions fans sitting across the city on the other side of the city of Brisbane. <laughs> I can tell you now, <laughs> mate, I love it. Um, what about your excitement in regards to not only your own footy and where you feel like your own footy has been? You mentioned earlier that you'd been through some tough years at the club where we're down the bottom of the ladder. I say we're. <laughs> I'm a fan. So we're down the bottom of the ladder. Um, whereas last year was a phenomenal year. Um, how difficult was that at the end of the year to finish the way you did when you know bowed out in a couple of finals games?
1: Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing that I've, I'm, I'm proud of and the biggest kind of kicks I get out of it, obviously um, the winning side of it speaks for itself and um, that progression, but to see the belief grow in the young guys and mm. the guys that have been around, you kind of see, you, you see the belief grow in the young guys and then you see got the older guys that have been around and almost getting a bit of reward for um, all the hard work they've, they've done in years gone by. You, I generally get a kick out of seeing that kind of happiness and, um, and whatever the word might be in, in people's kind of um, lives and the way they kind of live. So, yeah. Um, that's a that's definitely a big big uh, big kick for me.
0: I think it was disappointing this year with this um, unfortunate virus that's taken over the world. Because I spoke to a couple of the boys um, out at Golf Central, because there's quite a decent there's quite a decent group of uh, Brisbane Lions players now who are into their golf, and uh, and certainly spoke to a couple of those boys pre season talking about. You know the first game that the Lions were going to play at the Gabba, being in front of what potentially looked like maybe being a sellout crowd, based on what you did last year, that would have been pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, it's um that was a, a yeah a, obviously pretty disappointing. Um, I totally forgot about all that, but we I think we had a few Thursday night and Friday night games all yeah. locked in again, um, Collingwood and a few other Victorian teams who obviously have a big. Big supporter base, so um, no doubt. Like the back end of last season, the Gabba would have been um, sold out. Yeah, one of the best places to be when it's like that. That's for sure. But um, Apparently it's
0: pretty loud, right?
1: It's loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even um, I think there was ten thousand on the weekend, and it's still still quite loud. But when it's when it's full, it's one of those. It's one of the loudest grounds um, that you you play, and I don't know how they built it or they built it a certain way or whatever it might be. but or maybe just because they're the, our home fans and you notice it a bit more, but um, yeah, it's a great place to be.
0: I think it's got something to do with the way they've built it because the cricketer, the cricket, from a cricket side of the equation, which is obviously a summer sport, um, it's, it, it holds everything in. So it holds that heat in as well. And that's the difficulty they're having with cricket at the moment in, wanting to hold test matches at the Gabba is that it's just this hot, hot, hot place in the summer. And, you know, it doesn't have, you know, great circulation in the place, but I think that, you know, probably is what helps in the winter to keep a bit of the warmth in and keep that noise in and and sort of amplify the the sound. So um, that concrete sort of jungle that it is, it seems to be, um, you know, from anyone I've talked to that the MCG is obviously loud when it's full, but the Gabba's, you know, one of the loudest places. Um, you know, when it's only got probably fifty percent capacity of a, of an yeah. MCG.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think well, we played we played Richmond in the last game of last season at the MCG in front of close to eighty thousand. I think there was seventy eight <laughs> awesome. eighty thousand, and then we played the next week um, at the Gabba in front of thirty eight forty, which I think is capacity. And yeah just seems loud for some reason, but (laughs) it
0: is. amazing. What about the nerves playing that Richmond game? You know, um, do you still get nervous? Or did you Um, never been one to really get nervous? uh,
1: Not, not overly nervous. No, I think um, there's a few little nerves. Like probably, I probably found the right balance.
0: Um, Yeah, right.
1: um, So I I stay pretty relaxed before the game. and I'm not one who gets all psyched up and all hyped up or anything like that. Or, um, yeah, I'll stay pretty relaxed, but then when it's time to go, I'll switch on and um, get stuck in. So, I'm, uh, yeah, I was pretty good from memory.
0: Do you have, have players or people at the club that help with that development as, as players, Daniel? Because obviously, that's your model and your um, way to, to get into your ideal or peak performance state is to go through your process and your routine pre game. But do you have guys at the club helping with that and helping develop that and helping the young guys to find their you know, ideal or peak performance um, states before games?
1: Um, oh, I think, to be honest, I think the best way to, to learn what's right for you is just a, a trial and error kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's my opinion. Oh, there's, we've got a club psychologist who's um, she's really George, good. she still? No, no, no. We've got Alex yes. Gorman. She's our psychologist okay. who does a lot of, lot of stuff. Um, I personally haven't spoken to her about that that kind of stuff. Um, but I think part of it's knowing the kind of person you are, and um, typically, the kind of person you are, you don't need to be someone you're not just to try and get yourself up for a game. Um, mm. So um, you find that you naturally spend time with more guys who are. That's the thing. If I, if I, similar. If yeah, similar. If if you want to relax, you'll hang around guys who, you know, are that kind of person and, and like that before the game. Or if you are potentially feeling a bit flat or whatever, you you look for the guys that are full of energy and feed off that a bit. So <laughs> yeah. um, that's the best thing about footy clubs. You've got a lot of guys to choose from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Who are those guys at the lines? Who are the who are the hype hype machines pre-game in the current?
1: Um, oh, Mitch Robinson, Charlie Cameron. Are, to that do that spring to mind, but um, in the younger side there's there's a fair few, but um, there's also a lot of guys who are pretty relaxed as well.
0: I always reckon Robo looks like you know for me watching him play, you know you think back to those old rocky boxing movies and you know bell Boas on the absolute ropes and the old sniffing salts under the nose and all of a sudden, he's up and about, you know, out of, out there. And I just feel like Robo. Every time I watch him play, I think, "Who's giving him the sniffing salts?" Every second of the game, he's, he, it. Just <laughs> looks like he's like this animal on the field. What's he like off the field? Is he is he like that? Does he have that same persona, or does he calm right down? And it's just white line fever that changes him into the beast that he is out there.
1: Oh no, Robo's got he's got both. He's got um. There'll be some times when he'll just be completely up and about and um, and carrying on and all that type of stuff, and then there'll be there'll be rarely there'll be times when he's a bit more mellow. But um, oh, man, he's he's a great guy to have around the club and a great player to play with. You know what you're going to get week in week out, and I love playing with him. He's one of my good mates as well. So um,
0: yeah, he's good fun. Surely he's an inspiring sort of player that you know the. That... You think back to a Jonathan Brown you mentioned earlier, and how he was someone you looked up to as a as a leader at the club because he put his body on the line, didn't he you know week in week out, and Robbo does the same with not anywhere near the same size body as a Jonathan Brown
1: yeah, oh he some of the stuff he does is you think, yeah you think wow that was uh that was kind of crazy, that was stupid. <laughs> But yeah, it's um it's just who he is and as I said it's it's <laughs> I'd rather be playing with him than against him.
0: There's a few blokes in the club at the moment who can take a hanger too. You know, a massive mark.
1: You yeah, know, Charlie can oh,
0: climb up yeah. there. Link McCarthy seems to have like yeah. his own little step ladder.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those um those boys have uh, yeah, they've definitely got some hops. Um often where the where the ones at training and he matched him and stuff <laughs> playing against him. Wearing so. it. Um, yeah, I'm lucky he hasn't sat on my head yet. Any of those two, but it's just a matter of time, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, he sat on someone's <laughs> on the weekend, didn't he? It was awesome, yeah, um, brilliant stuff. And how do you feel the club? Let's finish up here. How do you feel the club's position to you know continue to attack what's a very different year, as we mentioned earlier? But you know, um, as a whole, the you know, club captain. Dane Zorko has, has got a bit of an injury at the moment, but how's the rest of the squad and how's the club feeling moving into, you know, the next phase of games where lines will pro- probably um, have to to trans um, transit south a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think um, the club has been so good with everything. They've been um, completely open and honest and they've um, basically, as soon as they've been told anything or heard anything, they'll pass it on to players and be really transparent with them. With everything Because at the end of the day the, the sooner we know Some things The better it's going to be So um, The club's been fantastic And um, it's, it's something that's Constantly changing as well So it's hard They get told one thing And then Two days later It's changed So yeah. have can change the message It's and, tough um, But Yeah I think the club's in a position now Where we're um, At a point where We've just got to be ready to play Anywhere anytime And That's um, Yeah there's, there's people out there Saying that they'll There'll be an asterisk next to uh, next to this this season's premiere or whatever it might be, but I don't think that's the case at all. I think whoever wins it this year, um, they've done an amazing job because it's it's been one of the hardest yeah. hardest seasons. Um, you play everyone once. There'll be finals, so I think it's pretty fair. Um, it's almost the
0: fairer.
1: Yeah, they're, 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 the things with all the the if you play more games home or away or all that kind of stuff, but. Um, yeah, it's impossible to make the competition exactly fair. So um, I think whoever wins it this year, credit to him.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, I certainly am, am one hoping that it is the Brisbane Lions at the end of it. Now, you've got a little young man running around the house these days, um, little Xander. Um, what's, he, what's he displaying? I've seen him out at Golf Central with his clubs, but I've also seen him on your Instagram kicking a footy around, doing some drop punts. Has he got the left foot like dad and you know, where do you see his you know, is he gonna be father son coming to the Lions for us?
1: Oh uh, he can uh, he can choose what he wants to do, but they're definitely uh they're definitely the two loves. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, I suppose we're basically spent from two, two, three o'clock today after his swimming lesson we were on the on the trampoline playing footy and then um went <laughs> straight from straight from there to um to the golf club, so um, he uh, he's got he, he's done both today, but he's got the left foot. That's the uh, most important Has he? thing. Yeah, um, wow. and and his right hand like me. So he's either been watching me or or um yeah, someone showed him the right way.
0: Mate, they're not bad genes to have passed on. So let's hope <laughs> for the uh, Brisbane Lions' sake that you know you passed on that left foot of yours. And mate, I certainly wish you and the family all the very best at what is continuing to be a difficult time in the world's history um when we think about it and you know, we're lucky in australia i think australia's done a brilliant job and you know pretty proud to sit here as australians in in a country that's dealt with it pretty well but i certainly wish you and the family all the very best and um look forward to catching up when you get a chance to get out of the bubble um and get back out to golf central and and have another hit before we finish though i have one more question for you which i ask everybody who comes on the show And you might have heard this question, you might not have, but um, I always ask everybody, if you could be any sports star from the history or current for a day and live a life in their shoes, uh, who would it be? That's
1: a good question. I'd love to know how how many people have said Tiger (laughs)
0: Woods. Yes, Tiger's got a few. Tiger has got a few.
1: Who did you say,
0: Tiger? Uh, I, he might have said Tiger. I think I'd have oh, mate, to go back yeah. and have a listen. Um, but yeah, certainly um, there's been a few Tiger Woods. Ben Icon was a Tiger Woods. There's been a few. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, that he's definitely up there. Um, oh, I, don't know. I think it'd be it'd be cool to be um, Tom Brady, or someone someone like that. I think would be pretty cool. Tom Brady would be good. Um, not a massive NFL fan, but.
0: Um, I'd imagine he'd be uh, he'd be going okay, and and living a day where he won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. like living that day. Yeah,
1: probably probably exactly that day. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, that's got to be what it is. I think Ben Eiken when he spoke about Tiger Woods was 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 living the actual day where he won the Masters. Um,
1: you the know, uh, Masters.
0: yeah, the comeback Masters, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think the iconic golf ball chip chip in on sixteen at the Masters where the Nike logo just sat there for the cameras. I kind of feel like living that moment as Tiger Woods would have been pretty cool as well. But yeah, um, Tom Brady Tom Brady leading his team to a Super Bowl victory would that'd be a pretty cool day, I reckon. So we haven't had Tom Brady yet. So that's a that's a new one to the list, which is awesome. Well, mate, thanks so much for joining us. I wish you all the best and obviously the team. Uh, Brisbane Lions, all the very best for the 2020 Premiership tilt, and um, there'll be no asterisks for me, mate. I'll be just jumping up and down and partying hard with uh, with with my family and friends as as uh, we watch you guys win a grand final. that will be awesome. So I wish you and all the all the boys all the very best, and certainly um, best of health to you, mate, and the family to to your wife and and little Xander. I look forward yep. to catching up soon. No worries, mate. Lockwise to you and the family. Thanks, Maddie. You know a big thank you to Daniel Rich and the Brisbane Lions for giving him the okay to join us on the hard yards. He's a quiet guy, but with such a great outlook on life and his silver lining idea, no matter what has happened throughout his career, is such a great way to look at things. Thanks for sharing, Daniel. Next week, we have New South Wales Australia and Greece representative and one of the stars of Fox Sports NRL team, and Asta, joining us. It'll be a fascinating chat with 288 Gamer Braith as he tells his story from his youth to debuting for the Canterbury Bulldogs at the age of 18. Should be a cracker, and I hope you will join us. In the meantime, please don't forget to share it around and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. See you next week, team.